Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm your host, John Stackhouse. We've been trying to use this podcast to inform and inspire an ongoing conversation about how to transform the Canadian economy through innovation. And in the midst of this crisis, that includes talent, our ability to attract, develop, and retain the world's best talent, especially tech talent. Over the last decade, maybe the single greatest Canadian story was our ability to attract highly skilled people from every corner of the world. Today, something like 40% of Canadian tech workers are immigrants. They not only bring with them incredible skills and enterprise, they often connect us with global markets, and they've been critical to building a new Canadian brand that should be in hot demand in a post-pandemic economy. That is, if we can get from here to there. It won't be easy, as COVID has disrupted the very movement of people, locally, as we all know, but also globally. We'll see what happens to immigration in the years ahead and to the movement of Canadians out into the world. But even if borders tighten, we're going to have to find ways to overcome those barriers. The world may or may not need more Canada, but Canada certainly will need more of the world. Among the many Canadian tech companies that have helped connect Canada with the world, Tribal Scale has played a unique role. It's helped hundreds of new Canadians launch new lives here and equally exported a ton of Canadian IP to markets from Southern California to the Persian Gulf. Using a deep pool of Canadian talent, it's built websites and digital experiences. I've known Sheetal Jaitley, Tribal Scale's founder and CEO, for a few years, and I really wanted to talk with him and some of his leaders about Canadian tech talent in a post COVID economy. And he'll be joining me with Iman Fayez who is a senior product designer, she calls herself a human-centered designer, at Tribal Scale. Sheetal, Iman, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Thanks for having us, John. Hi, hello. Sheetal, I like to think most entrepreneurs start their companies to solve a problem. When you were starting Tribal Scale, what problem were you hoping to solve? We really noticed that large enterprises were struggling with their capital efficiency and productivity when it came to their spend on innovation and digital. And we wanted to focus on driving those two things. And so not only did we say that we're gonna go and help organizations build better digital products in an agile way, but we wanted to help show them how they could do it. And we do that by leveraging their people and upskilling their people helping them fix their processes, which are antiquated processes and don't work in an agile world, and tools, helping them learn the tool sets that are going to be the ones that are going to drive their digital roadmap for the future. It sounds like a great journey. What got you into tech? As a young guy, I started working in the early 90s. When I was 13 years old, I started saving every penny I got. And my dad let me go and, and showed me my bank account one day. And it was somewhere around like ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. And he was like, you can go get whatever you want. And so I went and bought a computer. And I just started messing around with a computer. And so early days, I started being self-taught and using AOL back then and with my dial-up modem. I know I'm aging myself. What does a teenager do to save ten grand? That's impressive. Well, I started working at a very young age. I got a deep voice as you could hear on this podcast. And so I started doing telemarketing and tele-research surveys actually at 13 years old. And I started doing that three, four nights a week while I was still in school. So that's how I saved up that much money. Yeah, you've got a great uh, radio voice. Iman, what got you into tech? 
So my whole life, I've had technology influences. I've never really imagined a world where I wasn't going to be working with some sort of technical industry. I studied graphic design at OCAD University, so it was already a pretty digital discipline. And then by the time I graduated, there was this influx of this uh, new industry of the technology industry was booming, UX positions were like all over the place. So it was really seamless for me to just go into tech. I, I don't even think what I would do otherwise. I find that, you know, within Canada, we have such a diverse community. We have people from all over the world who have come here and who have their own life experiences to kind of act on and understand other people. I had the opportunity to go to Dubai and work there and I was actually born and raised there. And I think that's the opportunities that we get to really flourish on in coming from that Canadian market and coming from that diverse background. But at the same time, now more than ever, design thinking is super important. You're called a human-centered designer. What does that mean? So, I mean, human-centered design is not necessarily something new. From studying design, we've always differentiated design from art, where it's like you're always trying to solve a problem. And this is always a problem that's being faced by some type of user, whether it's a company or whether it's a consumer. So for me, human-centered design is really just designing for the person and the problems that they're facing. And originally, you know, human-centered design, that term was used more for people who were working in IT and who were working with these digital solutions. But in the last 10 years, the types of end users and the amount of end users has skyrocketed. So in my opinion, human-centered design is really just designing for people. Shido, you had a great expression, find your tribe. What does that mean? I get asked sometimes, you know, why tribal skills? How'd you get that name? And I'm a big proponent of, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And the cooler way to say that is your vibe attracts your tribe. And if you look at a tribe, a tribe does a couple of things really well. Everybody in a tribe really knows their role and proficient in the role that they have. And a tribe falls apart when all the role players in the tribe don't play well together. And so a tribe is really good at leveraging each other and what your best talents are is to be really efficient. And then we took the word scale and we put that with the word tribe because the organizations we want to help are looking to scale, are looking to scale in digital, are looking to scale their customers, are looking to scale their technology. And that's that's how we put the two together. Is there a Canadian tech tribe? And if so, what's, what's its vibe? I think we have a ton of awesome talent here in Canada and we don't do a good enough job, I think, of ripping off our shirt and showing the Superman logo underneath. We, we just naturally are very humbled in the way we do things. But the talent that's come out of Canada, if you look at even a lot of the Silicon Valley companies that are that, that are doing really well have a ton of Canadians who are you know at top of their leadership actually make making a movement happen there so I think Canada has a real humble vibe and it, I'd love to see us really stand up on the world stage and show some of the amazing things we've been able to do I think I saw Harley from Shopify on CNBC a lot more of us Canadians need to be like Harley out there and uh, really preaching to the world the amazing work that's being done over. Yeah, we can't lose uh, sight of that. In fact, one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation is to talk about human talent and technology because we're at a bit of an intersection here in history, frankly. The COVID crisis is this primordial reminder of our relationship with nature. No matter how much technology Mm -hmm. we have, we're still in nature's grip. And yet we're engaged with 
technology, but it's going to be an epic challenge for talent. Canada's got such a great role to play in the world in bringing together talent and technology and the tribal scale story has been part of that. Chido, you and I first met, I, w- I want to say it was 2016. I came to your offices and was fascinated with how many people were there from different parts of the world. It was like the United Nations. I wonder if I can take you back a few years to that time to reflect on what we had going, because we can't lose sight of that, to bring that talent from around the world to Toronto, but also to other parts of Canada, Vancouver, Montreal, Waterloo. What was a bit of the magic back then? The, the way our Canadian ecosystem is really built around universities, where we do attract some top talent around the world to come here and study. And so when we started going out and recruiting for talent, we did that here in our own backyard in Toronto, but we also did it across the country, which also led us to have people come and apply who were in Canada and finishing school and were wanted the opportunity to see if they could start transitioning into a workplace and if our organization would help them actually get the right paperwork to do that. And in 2016, Canada was very open to, to do that. Now things have even progressed even further where we have a fast track application process. But even back then, it was very much so a merit-based system where you could attract some of the smartest talent in the world to come fill the jobs that are pretty scarce in technology. That's such an interesting and important point. Our universities and colleges and Polytechniques are gateways to the country for this high-end talent. Great way for people to get familiar with Canada, but also for companies and entrepreneurs like you to connect with people. Iman, you went to OCAD, which is a really impressive school. I wonder if you could reflect on the strengths of our schools and also what they need to do to improve in the 2020s. I think that it's more of an institutional problem that I think a lot of institutions are a little behind when they're trying to teach these new ways of working. So beyond our universities, we have a lot of courses like BrainStation and BitMaker that have kind of capitalized on this new mode of working, on this new job hub of UX, UI, and product design. So I think in terms of our universities, there's maybe a little bit of catching up to do, but in the past five years, I've seen that that's actually happened. So that's really exciting. You're absolutely right. I mean, even the best teachers, their knowledge tends to be a little out of date. I wonder, Iman, can you explain a bit about what goes into being a digital designer? I know over the last decade, designers have been one of the hottest occupations out there, but I don't think a lot of people understand what a designer does. Most of us probably think of a fashion designer or someone who's good at drawing, but it's a completely different skill set and aptitude in the digital economy, isn't it? I think there's two aspects of design. There's one which is very implementation heavy. So when people come to you and be like, I have an idea and I need help to define it and visualize it, that's really where the perception of design fits. And that's what a lot of people see as design. But there's this whole part of this design process that happens before the implementation, before the visual design and definition of it, which is understanding a problem, doing the research and figuring out what that solution should entail and should consist of. And I think the core principle of design, and we see that a lot with design thinking, is understanding people, their behaviors, and their habits. Because you can work on the coolest, newest technology, you can create a product out of voice or AR, but if it's not usable, if it's not accessible, then it's not going to be adopted. We need to create solutions, especially digital solutions, that people feel comfortable to complete their tasks. So if I feel uncomfortable using a digital wallet to pay for my coffee because it might take a little longer and there's a huge lineup behind me and I just get nervous, I'm very likely not going to pursue that option to pay and I'd rather just pay with 
cash or with my physical card. And so there's this huge psychological human factor that we need to start thinking about and really investing in. And I think that's why design thinking methodologies have really become this new wave of working. In many ways, COVID-19 has forced us to take a few steps backwards. Yet, in other ways, it's driven innovation, exposed pain points, and shown us that digital is at the center of pretty much everything. Many companies are flourishing despite their entire workforce working remotely. And you could argue many are flourishing because of this transition to remote work. But what else do we need to do in our tech industry and in any workplace to ensure that we are set up to thrive in this new world? A lot of it has to do with talent. What kind of people and key hires do we need to strengthen our workforce? And once we've made those hires, how do we build a mindset and a culture that sets them up for success? Chitol, you deal with a lot of organizations, both here in Canada and abroad. How would you say we're evolving in terms of design thinking, especially in large organizations? I think, you know, we're definitely seeing a transition, John, when it comes to design and actually having a consumer-centered approach that Iman was talking about. It doesn't necessarily have to be the big paycheck in the room who has the loudest voice who's going to make things happen. It's the actual consumer and it's designers like Iman who've actually come to the table and started bringing an approach to say, we understand the goal of what the application is. Let's go do some research research and let's get some user opinion and buy-in and work with product teams to actually come out and say what is going to be an outcomes-based approach. And that has been really refreshing to see because we see a lot of the large-scale products that we use every day start to have those aha moments as a user where you go, wow, they actually thought about me or this is actually working really well. And you're, you're happy to tell your friends and others about it. One of the expressions that drives me crazy is we need a nation of coders. But I wonder if we need a nation of design thinkers. Do we all need to be design thinkers or is that something that's going to be way better at and we should rely on you, bring other talents to the table? What I would say is that with this design thinking methodology that now more bigger enterprises and startups are trying to practice, it's really just bringing that human perspective to equal ground alongside the business goals as well as the feasibility goals. It's really just everyone should be thinking about all three pillars, but then it's the designer who really has to make sure that the user is being thought of. It's the engineer that's making sure that the technical restrictions are being followed or pushed. And then it's the product, the client, the stakeholder who's just keeping us in check and being like, you know what, this is our budget and this is what our actual business goal is for this quarter. By having that kind of mix and influence from all three pillars throughout a product cycle, so from the beginning, from strategy all the way to implementation, is really where the magic happens. That's really where the innovation happens. So when we're allowed to have meetings again, can I walk in and say I'm a design thinker? Absolutely. That's fantastic. I'm going to update my LinkedIn profile. Design, <laughs> design thinker on it. Shido, you mentioned learning from failure. You grew a lot and then you had to scale back in 2019. Walk us through the challenges that as an entrepreneur you had to come to grips with. How did you come to grips with that? What was, what was critical that you did? I think the critical piece actually was more from our team saying, hey, this is where we would like our sales efforts or marketing efforts to focus because this is really what's strong in our wheelhouse. We've had various committees formed with all sorts of departments come in and tell us where they feel 
you know, the second incarnation of tribal scale should be. And it's really listening to your people. I mean, we're a services business, so our people are our product. How did you come to grips with those tough people decisions? One of the challenges of the Canadian tech ecosystem is sometimes it's not tough enough. Companies are not um, hard-nosed enough with themselves. I think it has to come from a place of genuine sincerity. You are not doing anybody any favors if you are sugarcoating things with them on based on their performance or how they're being a culture fit or where you're going as an organization. I think you need to be super transparent and say, this is the new vision that we are moving towards. Some of the things that you personally are doing aren't aligning with that vision. And here's things that you need to stop doing. And here's the great stuff that you need to continue doing and really have that open, transparent conversation. If that change doesn't happen, John, then it's mutually beneficial for you and that person to part ways because what they want out of an organization they are not seeing and what you need out of someone in your organization they're not giving and i think this covid pandemic actually is going to make that happen for a lot of organizations i agree i I think covid is going to force us to come to grips with a lot of things but being that classic canadian really good and really nice may not cut it you have to be really good and really nice but also really focused iman i wonder how you're seeing talent in the future in the post-covid world i think it touches base on what shiro just said about the people especially in this landscape right now we don't want to have people who are unsure about how they want to work and what they want what i would want to see especially now when we can't even be in the same room and collaborate in person or get to know each other on more of a personal level everything is a lot more remote I would say that one key aspect is like we're looking for people who are proactive. Obviously, you need to have hard and soft skills and you need to be able to do certain, you know, cover the certain job responsibilities within your role. But we really want people who are thinking outside of the box, especially with design thinking. Like this is the time to innovate. Let's think of those amazing experiences. Let's not wait for permission. Let's just figure out what is the best way to deal with these new social distancing rules. How do you think we need to balance that? inclusive and thoughtful approach with what Shito was describing earlier, that need for a hard nose with choices. Sometimes those can be contradictions. You want to find a team that you feel supported by. You want to work with a team that knows that they'll have your back and you have their back. And we can just focus on doing good work and getting that work done. And so as long as you can do that, it doesn't have to be within Canada. It could be a global approach as well. John, just to add to what Iman said, we have an awesome opportunity to attract talent from all over the world. And they could start working with you in a remote way and use the Canadian merit-based immigration system, especially in to immigrate them here into Toronto, Montreal, wherever you want here in Canada. And that can be an extra added bonus to attract some of the smartest minds across the world to come and work at your organization and give you a competitive advantage over your American counterpart. Absolutely. Even coming out of COVID, the world is going to be more protectionist in all likelihood and we'll have to be a a little more self-reliant. But Canada is just way too small to get by on our own. So we're going to have to be more global, not less. And when you think about talent, In that equation, something like 40% of tech workers in this country are newcomers to Canada. It's extraordinary that we have this robust, globally competitive tech community that is made up of so many people from so many different 
parts of the world. Sheila, when you took tribal scale global, you expanded to Dubai, to LA, to New York. I think that talent was one of your advantages, but I wonder how it plays out in in those markets in a place like Dubai. Why does it matter that uh, someone is from Canada, number one, but also from a very multicultural background that we have in this country? If you look at Canada, we are super strong in the areas of AI, robotics, automation. These are all things, even obviously building digital products, these are all things that the entire globe now is going to need. We've traditionally been such a resource-based economy, and we are starting to become a thought-based economy. And our expertise really needs to be exported. It's a huge moment for us Canadians who have done a lot of the pre-work in being experts, not only like in these fields, but being experts in the fields of AI, robotics, design, software development, and really start to export ourselves all over. I wonder if we can turn the conversation to the recovery phase and what we need to think about as we look to emerge from lockdown. Sheetal, how do you think digital and agile development particularly are going to be different when we come out of this? Organizations and companies who have started taking their agile journey and started to look at best practices when it comes to agile in their own firms are going to have to start really figuring out how to work in a more distributed way now within distributed teams. I also see an emerging trend that's going to start happening is how could you start building innovation when you're in a distributed environment? And we are experimenting and trying a variety of different tools, but also the right rituals and methodologies that become effective when you actually are more remote. And I think that's going to be the big challenge for the large enterprise. The second challenge, I think, for the large enterprise is really going to be something we were talking about earlier is to switch to a more outcomes-based approach and working with your staff to be more outcomes-driven. And so the only way you could do that is working in smaller and more dedicated, focused teams. We've been talking about talent, and I wonder what advice you would have for the next generation of talent, the millions who will be emerging in the 2020s and beyond and taking us hopefully to a better place. We can't have graduations this season, but if you were speaking at a graduation this spring, Shido, what what words of advice would you give to the class of 2020? Just give it your all and put 110% in, but really start to look at this world and education as a place where you can be continuously learning and gaining more work experiences is always second to none, as Iman mentioned earlier. But I would really suggest that this is going to be a time period where students are really going to have to separate themselves from their crowd. And I think the days of spray and pray and just sending out a million resumes, cookie cutter to everyone, is is probably not what's going to get you the job of your dreams or the job that's going to help you get you to the job of your dreams, but actually being really focused and researching and understanding which organizations offer what and you showing them how you will be a value add even before you apply is really what's going to help you get, get a foothold and start you off on the right path in your career in this economy. It's going to be tough and very competitive out there, but use your ingenuity to show what value you are going to bring to an organization. And I promise you, you're going to have a great job and a great road to success. Iman, what would you say to the class of 2020? Similar to Sheetal, I would say 
always be ready to learn. Never assume that you know everything because things change fast. Another thing I would say is don't be intimidated by new technologies. Embrace it, attack them, learn how to use them sooner rather than later. Because the fact of the matter is that as time goes by, technology is going to evolve a lot faster and we need to be ready to know how to use it. So be open to learning, be open to asking for help and don't be intimidated. These are really tough times in all sorts of different ways for, for everyone, but this is a really inspiring conversation. I want to thank you both for being part of RBC Disruptors. Thanks so much for having us, John. Thank you so much. After speaking with Shital and Iman, I'm really excited about the future of tech and talent in Canada, despite all the challenges we're facing. From our conversation, I'd say there are at least five key points that can help any organization. Number one, design-centric thinking. In earlier years, most of us thought of design as prescriptive, even technical, but really it's about solving problems. It's a mindset that keeps teams creative and agile and constantly looking for data-driven solutions. Even those of us who aren't designers can benefit from design-centric thinking, which at its core focuses on adapting to customer and end-user needs. Number two, universities and colleges. For Canada, they're talent magnets. We're home to some of the world's best schools, and every year they attract hundreds of thousands of aspiring and ambitious youth. We need to think critically and creatively about how we can use this to our benefit and take advantage of global talent that's already living, studying, and growing in Canada. Number three, remote work culture. It's here to stay. Unfortunately, some of the companies that were hardest hit by the COVID crisis were the ones that were not set up to thrive in a digital environment. This experience has taught us that A, many companies can function with remote working cultures, and B, many other companies need to learn how to adapt to remote culture so they don't get left behind. Your future employees and customers will expect it. Number four, corporate purpose. We're seeing it everywhere. Organizations with a clear purpose and vision are better positioned to withstand enormous shocks like COVID. It sees them through tough times and tough decisions. So as we struggle through the months ahead, be open and honest about the company you're trying to build and the kind of values and attitudes that will get you there. And number five, mindset. It trumps skills. When we're thinking about talent, hard and soft skills are important, but the right mindset can be even more valuable. Invest in team members who are not only proactive and solutions oriented, but open to and even excited by change. To succeed, we need to invest in people who can move quickly and learn to thrive in any environment. As we move forward with rebuilding our economy, it's important that we understand the value of the right tools, the right team, and the right way of thinking. That way, Canadians and Canadian companies can continue to grow, thrive, and innovate. Thank you for listening to RBC Disruptors, our ongoing conversation about innovation and how we can reimagine the Canadian economy in this time of unprecedented change. If you like this episode, leave us a five-star rating and a review. We'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes. Until next time, I'm your host, John Stackhouse.